Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I guess there's certain projects where you you sort of find yourself thinking about them all the time and you just get sort of sucked into it. You sort of can't let it go. And this was one of them. Welcome back to the Landscapers podcast, which is all about the real-life case behind the HBO and Sky drama about the Mansfield murders. I'm Caroline Crampton. At the heart of any good true crime story is the twist. That moment when everything you think you know about the case so far is upended, and suddenly it all looks very different. Once that twist arrives, you get a jolt in the stomach. You know the feeling. It's like nothing else. With landscapers, it comes as the investigation deepens and the detectives move past those what-the-hell moments that shaped their first impressions. The twist is what we're going to be exploring in this third episode. How the police untangled the truth from the lies and how the production team turned these pivotal moments into something that works on screen. I think the reality of this story is that it's very complicated and it's very human. That's Will Sharp the director and co-writer of Landscapers, who you also heard from at the beginning of this episode. His job was to work closely on the scripts with the series creator Ed Sinclair and begin to translate the scripts into a visual world that emerges on screen, to make the story three-dimensional and to create the stage upon which the drama can be played out. I was really hooked into the story. I thought... The characters of Susan and Chris were really beautifully drawn and I especially liked how I felt like Ed was trying to take a really empathetic view of this story and really trying to understand who Susan and Chris were and how this crime might have come about. Right from the start, the way that truth and fiction intersected in this story was a major preoccupation for the team. There was something about the concept of truth and how Chris and Susan perhaps deal with the idea of truth, whether they're, you know, beautiful truths or in extremely difficult to handle truths that are, it's not possible almost to look at straight in the face. That was probably the first thing we talked about, actually, when we started discussing the series was this idea of truth. You see the events played out in slightly different ways from different perspectives. And I thought that was a really interesting take on how to handle a mystery, I suppose. Of course, we have influence over how it plays, and it's not completely objective. But at the same time, we do want the audience to have some space to kind of find their own answers and their own interpretations. 
and in landscapers, those ideas don't stay static. How the sort of truth changed shape, changed colour, depending on where you looked at it from, who you looked at it through. And even I remember us talking a little bit about how sometimes you even sort of question your own memories. So you might have remembered a certain event playing out in a certain place at a certain time with certain people present. And then you might bump into a friend and be like, oh yeah, and be like, no, it didn't happen there, it happened here. And they weren't even there. We hadn't even met that person at that point. And you just sort of start to feel like you've, you haven't got a handle on reality at all. And I think that was a part of the atmosphere that we wanted to create as well, that all of these truths are really kind of gossamer thin and just could be upended at any, at any moment. This is where the twist comes in. Over the first two episodes, we get to know Susan and Chris. And while there are certainly doubts about the account that they give of themselves, a level of familiarity and understanding has developed. What happens next completely destabilises that. Probably the first question we want you to ask is, but did they actually do it? Surely these two innocent-seeming people could never have done something as horrific as this. As the story starts to evolve, you might start to question your own empathy and your own sort of sense of Chris and Susan and almost feel like, oh my God, I completely misinterpreted who they are. There's actually seem of great darkness here and maybe they are just flat-out murderers. Although what Ed and Will have done with landscapers is highly imaginative, the mundane steps of the police investigation are still key in guiding how the story unfolds. Once Susan and Chris returned from France and voluntarily consented to help the detectives with their inquiries, they were interviewed separately over several days. The police asked them about every detail of the shooting and burial that had taken place in Mansfield 15 years earlier. Susan's solicitor, Daryl Ennis Gale, was with her during these interviews and advised her to give minimal detail in her answers until they had a better idea of the scope of the investigation. Chris, however, declined the offer of legal representation and was offering up a very full version of his in-laws' deaths. There is one detail that came out during one of Chris's interviews that completely turned the investigation on its head. This is the twist, the aha moment, the crack in the case that blew it all wide open. Here's Ed. It's an amazing moment, Ned. Um... I think that's probably the biggest moment in, in, the, in, the, in the interrogation room. In the story that both Susan and Chris initially told to police, it was only Susan who was at her parents' house that fateful weekend. In her account, after witnessing her mother shoot her father, and then shooting her mother after provocation, she left the bodies in an upstairs room and returned home to London. It wasn't until the following weekend when she and Chris visited the house together, that he had even become aware of what had happened. This version of events began to unravel during the questioning, and it was one crucial detail about Chris's hobbies that helped it to do so. The fact that Chris used to keep guns, I think is is massive, and I think was massive for the police at the time as well, because one of the things about discovering a crime that was 15 years old that crime was committed in 1998. 
the internet was, well, compared to now, was, was nascent. There was no social media. Record keeping was not as electronic as it is now. And so the police didn't really have anything to go on. All they had was Chris and Susan talking. Obviously, they had the forensic evidence, but that was, you know, bodies in the garden buried a long time ago. And then neighbours, relatives, but none of them had anything to do with either couple. So it was very difficult for the police. Police, I think, sensed very strongly from the beginning that this story, that, that um, it was all one a horrible accident. They didn't believe that for a second, but what they what did happen, they had no real idea. So they were very reliant on Chris and Susan to talk. So if you read the inter- interview, you think... It's, it's very hard to work out why he revealed that, because that changed quite a lot in a split second. This highly dramatic moment came at one of the most static points of the drama, when the characters were just sitting across from each other in a police interrogation room. Even in, in a scene as kind of on the surface of it simple as a police interview, to try and feed in the stakes of a standoff or whatever it might be and to try to get into that headspace of, um, you know, who, who are the goodies here and who are the baddies. So she signs it over? Yes. And what happens to the house? Well, it's all too predictable, I'm afraid, before the ink is dry and the transfer deeds. They sell the house for a very healthy profit, I might add, and they sod off up to Mansfield. To Mansfield? Yes. Gosh, I can see how that might have exercised you. Well, no, I'm not. I I wasn't exercised. I was more regretful. For a story as tragic and dark as the one that plays out in Landscapers, introducing comic moments might seem incongruous. It is, if you like, a twist on our expectations of the classic true crime drama. But for Will and Ed, it felt entirely natural. We hope the humour in this show will be about shared understanding and, uh, to a certain extent, about sort of light relief here and there when things are getting very dark. We enjoy funny. It does feel like part of the mess of just people is that whether on purpose or by mistake, funny things come out of people's mouths. Funny things happen that are, you know, awkward or, or you know, unfortunate in some way. From talking with Ed, it, it sounded like Susan and Chris also have a sense of humour. And I think we definitely were always very careful not to put anything that was encouraging the audience to laugh at the expense of a character who is, you know, closely based on or or even loosely based on someone in real life and certainly never to laugh at the fact that a murder had happened. You could laugh about, for example, how unusually polite the emails between the police and Chris were. You can laugh about certain nuances of character. I think we definitely wanted to be sensitive about not laughing at the crime and not laughing at the people involved in the crime, for sure. It doesn't apply just to the, just to the murders, it applies to Susan's experience as well. I mean, she's, she's someone who has struggled, I guess, for want of a better word, throughout her life with her mental health and with where she can find happiness and where she's entitled to find happiness. And yet... She's done a, a number of things that are sort of ridiculous and and sort of prime sort of territory for for a bit of comedy. And this is you know this is one of the first things I said to her when I wrote to her. I said, "Look, I'm going to well, first of all, I'm not going to you know this isn't going to break you out of prison. I don't think there's been a miscarriage of justice. Secondly, I I want to do justice to the story as best I can, and I have to admit from the from the outset that that." will involve 
being amazed and laughing at some of the stuff that has happened. She was actually very open to that. The humorous moments in Landscapers, whether it's Chris's absurdly polite email exchanges with the police or the detective's morbid banter, are another way for the audience to find some empathy for the character of Susan Edwards. I think she's quite keen for that as a way of, I suppose as a way of maybe shared understanding and also to take the heat off both what she's done and her own sense of what she's suffered. I think humour is a, is, a, is a good vent for that. felt like life imitating art because, you know, you've got Susan and Christopher escaping their reality into a fantasy life and that's exactly what was happening with us, the actors, leaving this kind of, you know, weird uh, world behind, going into another weird world. It's in these interrogation scenes, when the big plot revelations are being made, that some of the funniest moments occur. The performance of Kato Flynn who plays DCI Emma Lansing in Landscapers, is a big part of why this twist part works. It could have gone two ways. It could have been quite flat. And actually, the way they've navigated through the interview scenes, how they've exploded that, I just think is really imaginative. And I hope that's appreciated. And I hope people see them as people, you know, that the, the stone-cold killer thing is kind of lessened by the end of watching it. Emma Lansing can be seen as a prickly, irritable copper. The way that Kate plays her, she's the perfect comic foil to the suspects that she's interviewing. Susan and Christopher, you know, Emma just gets irritated very easily by them. And Christopher is so pedantic. It's quite fun, that seeing that all. Seeing them lob grenades at each other is quite entertaining. And with Susan, you know, because she's so vulnerable, seemingly vulnerable, just having someone just not, just not going with it, it's quite a nice dynamic, I guess. When she was preparing for the role, Kate spent some time researching how police officers talk among themselves and to suspects, looking for ways to make her performance more authentic. What is police speak? You know, how everyone says sir. How do you say sir in a like, normal way? Because it's so kind of alien to me. You know, the jargon and just watching things like 24 Hours in Police Custody just kind of helped with seeing that embedded in, um, in a way that it's obviously it is more real than drama. That's why I went that direction, just to understand how real people say jargon, <laughs> I guess. Even though, actually, Emma doesn't... It's not, it's not that kind of um, series and the writing is, mm, you know really nuanced and what I really responded to is the fact that all the police in it had individual characters and distinctive ways of talking which isn't always the case. There was something about her character's accent she felt that really amplified this contrast. It's the kind of banality of it you know the way they talk and also suited something about that Nottingham accent which is so kind of like straight to the point kind of blunt you know and getting on with it in a kind of it's not like, what did you do? You know, it's just the accent and police custody felt like right areas of inter interrogation rather than the bill or whatever other, you know, there's loads of police procedurals. The police characters aren't just there for comic relief, of course. Far from it. They're there to embody the idea of justice, 
to ground the more fantastical elements of Susan and Chris's version of events in reality. It's a kind of a yin-yang to these fantasists, this love story. You know, Emma, Collier and Wilkie are always bringing you back down to the hard facts of the case that two people are dead and they, you know, and that justice needs to be done. I hope that's enough of a balance, really. I think it is. And the thing is, you know, there is you, things can be funny without negating the other elements of the case, you know, not negating the fact that, yeah, they were, they were murdered. I'm sorry, but I have to... Object. You too, this way. Where are you going? What's happening? Um, shall I bring the camera, Emma? No. For Ed, the moment that Emma secures the crucial breakthrough in the interrogation room, setting up the twist, is one of the best in the whole show. Right, come on. Excuse me. I think I probably have to say the moment when Lansing busts it all apart. That's probably my favourite part. Good evening, you two. You're looking fresher than when I last saw you. We felt, sort of ethically speaking, we couldn't really present a definitive account of what happened that night. We couldn't say this is what we think happened as filmmakers. But what we could do is give the police a chance to present a definitive account. They never, they never did that in court, but we thought it'd be quite fun and quite grounding for the... Um, for the audience to, to like from the crime procedural side of things to, to so they know where they are and they know what the, the idea is that's that we're supposed to be proceeding with or that the police are supposed to be proceeding with good, good to see you too oh why are you squeezing my hand so hard because of what you did to my wife um th that's a bit much don't you think you have to believe me this is not how it happens no it didn't it didn't happen like this at this moment when the police are having their big breakthrough landscapers moves away from comedy Instead, it foregrounds the tragedy of it all. It seems really obvious, but that's probably the biggest takeaway for me in the making of this show, is that murder is actually really sad. Like, it's not exciting and thrilling. You can play out, you know, cat and mouse games and who did it games, but actually, if a murder has happened, that is a tragedy, and that's, that trumps everything else. That's director and co-writer Will Sharp again. Working on this show seems to have made him question how much of what happens to us in life is preordained and how much we control. I guess one of the things that we found ourselves talking about in the making of this show, particularly at a script level, was are we exploring the degree to which a destiny is handed to you? If you grow up in a certain environment and certain things happen to you at a vulnerable age, does that pave the way for a difficult future? How much agency do you have for that future? Um, and not, not in the spirit of trying to absolve anyone of any crime, but just trying to understand it, I suppose. I guess what we're trying to get at there a little bit is a sense of how there are these various crossroads and in a way, maybe all of us are kind of two steps away from being involved in something really horrific. Part of how this was achieved was through the visual style that Will created for the show. In this, he was guided by the real story, in particular, Susan and Chris's love of cinema. There was a lot written about how they had been avid collectors of 
old Hollywood memorabilia, signed autographs, props and so on, and had spent money that they didn't seem to have on these collect- collectible items. In some way, it played into this idea of stories and how you see yourself as a character in your own life or in the life of somebody else or just in the world. And I think that definitely influenced our thinking in terms of like, well, where would Chris and Susan be at in this moment? You know, what part do they think they're playing? Susan in particular loved classic westerns. And there are a lot of visual elements from that period of cinema in Landscapers. Will recalls the scene in episode one, where the couple arrive at St Pancras. In, in the spirit of trying to embrace these old Western influences, decided to play in a slightly heightened way that is, I guess, you know, being a little bit wry about those tropes of whether it's cop dramas or whatever it is, to try and, I guess, manifest a version of how strangely that might have played out, but also kind of wearing it, quite honestly, that it's like, well, look, this is, the, this is the TV version of how it could have played out, but it must have played out in a remarkable way, you know, in some strange way. Like. Pulling in these elements was also a way of accessing something about the character of Susan Edwards. Susan had a very good relationship with her grandfather. They watched these films together. Terrible things happened during her childhood. This maybe was a way for her to feel better, you know, for short periods of time. Or just like maybe she was creating a space within which she felt safe in some way. A lot of landscapers, especially the police interrogation scenes where Susan and Chris are unfolding their story, has a very theatrical feel to it. Will really leaned into this, introducing meta-elements that visually echo the artificiality of the tale they're telling. In the building of the sets, and in some cases the you know, dismantling of the sets, we were trying to create a kind of precarious reality and just trying to lean into the idea that this is a version of the truth, but it's as vulnerable as any other. And at the end of the day, this is a piece of television, so you be the judge. Next time, Susan and Chris go full Wild West. In the finale episode of Landscapers, we see Ed and Will's creative vision come to its climax. The case of Susan and Christopher Edwards ends up in the courtroom, but the conclusion of the show is so much more grand and nuanced than just a trial. We know from the opening credits that the Edwards are convicted, So the way the show ends with much of the emotional narrative still open to interpretation is a really interesting and imaginative piece of television. If there's a mystery to be solved, I don't know if it's just like a primal thing, but we want to solve it, like we want to know how it happened. And then it might be, hopefully, that where you end up is that they may very well be murderers, uh, and that is what they were convicted for, Uh, but... How they arrived there is still really complicated and they're still human beings who are deserving of our understanding. I don't know if I buy their version. I don't know. I don't know. But I know Emma didn't buy their version. Although, actually, towards the end, I think she starts in black and white and by the end she sees it in quite grey terms and is a bit more empathetic and nuanced about it than she is at the beginning. 
You can watch Landscapers on HBO and HBO Max in the US and on Sky Atlantic and Now TV in the UK. The Landscapers podcast is produced by HBO, Sky and Campside Media. This episode was written by me, Caroline Crampton, with Joe Barrett. The producer is Joe Barrett. Our executive producer is Josh Dean. Our script editor is Natalia Winkleman. Sound design is by Joe Barrett with Rod Sherwood, who engineered this episode. Music is by Arthur Sharp from The Score to Landscapers. Special thanks to Chris Fry and Katie Carpenter at Sister. <laughs>